This is Packet Pushes Heavy Networking, a podcast dedicated to diving deeper into network infrastructure. SASE is a much abused marketing term these days and has lost most of its original meaning from years ago as the various vendors have brought their own technology to SD-WAN and created diverse ways to operate modern WAN infrastructure. And in particular, SASE is about the addition of security to the operational mode of forwarding traffic over the public WAN or, or even the public of the private WAN as well. In today's sponsored show with VMware SASE, we are taking a fresh look at their solution and product portfolio. Now, VMware has a breadth of products in adjacent marketplaces. So that actually means that they've got a differentiated solution. It doesn't look a whole lot like other people's products or other vendors' products because there's just this ability to integrate it with so much more. VMware is very software-centric, and you'll probably see as we go through the show that this is a very software or application-centric solution. And so joining us today to convince you of that is Craig Connors. He is VP and CTO of the Service Provider and Edge Business Unit. Now let's get straight into the discussion. Craig, let's focus first on this idea of application deployment in the SaaS. Because when we talk about SASE, we often forget to actually say that it's very application-centric. So talk to me about how you see that. Thanks for having me, first of all. Second of all, you know, when we talk about what's driving this evolution towards SASE, we often focus on the shift to remote work and COVID-19 and those things that are happening. But this really started in 2019 before any of that. And one of the major things that was driving it was this shift towards modernized applications and edge computing. And the fact that we now need to support applications that are running anywhere. Uh, and in, in the case of you know containerized applications, maybe even yeah. running in multiple places at once. Okay, so this is this idea that applications are going to be at the edge of the network as well as the centralized. So we've seen a lot of work with, I call it off-premise cloud or the, the at-scale cloud providers who you just go and drop a container or a VM in someone else's data center. But what we're also seeing is this diversity of that where we're saying there's edge compute, which is I'm going to start putting computers at the edge of the network. Now, whether you're renting someone else's edge compute, like a CDN edge, or whether you're building edge compute in branches or remote offices, what you're suggesting there is that the application might be not just in one place. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we've simplified the terminology on our side. We just call it far edge, meaning on the customer's prem, near edge, meaning any of those places nearby that you might mm. host compute. And not only will you have applications running in both places, obviously you need secure connectivity between the two places. You also need a way of determining where is the right place to host your applications. And you can't expect the application developer to know that. You can't really expect the network engineer to know that. And so we believe that SASE needs to help drive that decision-making process for you. Okay, so I want to drill into that a little bit. What you're sort of saying there is that I think the network engineer does need to know where the application is because you need to architect the network with some awareness of how where the applications are because they define bandwidth and performance. So how do you mean that the network engineer shouldn't have to know where it is? Yeah, I mean, let me, let me put it a little bit differently, right? The application developer is defining the service level objectives required for successful deployment and good user experience of their application. And they want to push that into the network with this SLO defined. Mm. If I'm a network engineer and I have now compute at the far edge at thousands of my locations, I have compute at the near edge, I have compute in the cloud, those applications need to be distributed in real time, potentially moved around in real time to make sure that bandwidth constraints aren't being hit, latency isn't being violated, jitter isn't being violated. So when I mean they, they shouldn't know where or they can't know where it's going to run, mm. what I really mean is it, it becomes in a true, fully modernized environment too much for the network engineers to manually control where applications yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can get to that. So what you're saying is uh, what I would define that as, as the complexity of the network. When we get to an edge compute scenario, the question is, where's the nearest edge becomes a very fraught question. It's not manually defined by an AB MPLS circuit that you've spent six months waiting to be deployed. It could be over a 5G. It could be over a DSL. It could be over a cable. It could be over a business grade, you know, tail circuit that uses the MPLS service tail, right? And, and you need to dynamically adapt to whichever one of those is going to be best. Right. And let's say your far edge is fully consumed from a compute capacity standpoint and you have a new application to roll out. 
where do you put it? Do you put it at the near edge? Do you move something else out of the far edge to make space? And I think mm. those kind of decisions are really complicating the network engineering perspective in a modern network. Now that's not here today. So that is a container-led Kubernetes Tanzu type world where I deploy my apps and then undeploy them as needed. But that is something that's coming, isn't it? That's right. It's not here today. But I think, you know, one of the reasons I always bring this up is that these are the kind of things we started talking about when we started talking about SASE. And if you look at the original analyst renderings of what SASE should look like, you had edge on both sides. And somewhere along the way, SASE has been redefined to let me put a, v a VM firewall in the cloud and let you remote access to it and mesh it with your SD-WAN. And that's SASE. But that might be solving the distributed work problem today, but it's not really setting you up to solve any of these future problems that are coming down the pipe, the whole breadth of what this architecture was set out to solve, right? So I think it's fine. We can talk about the, you know, quote unquote, firewall in the cloud use case. Um, mm. That is a part of SASE, but it's not the only thing that SASE was supposed to solve. And so that's why, you know, to your yeah. point about the term being, being used quite judiciously in the market today. I like to talk about application delivery and edge computing. And you know, we haven't even talked about 5G and the radio access network and multi-access edge computing and all of these different things that are coming because when you're just defining a network, designing a network, you really want that agility to be ready for what's coming next, not just solve the problem that you have today. Well, that, and that's where we've always been with WANs for the last 30 years is that they had to be able to support any application anywhere. And then we dialed up and down the bandwidth, albeit in a very badly bad way for the last 30 years, you know, months to deploy a new circuit. I think partly what you're alluding to here is the nature of SD-WAN, which is this permissionless connectivity using any medium, you know, 5G broadband, you know, dedicated lines. But you're also alluding here to a certain dynamism where the edge of the network has to decide where to send the traffic to based on some criteria. And then... Once you do that and you lose control of it's going from here to here, therefore I can secure it with this policy. When you get to this dynamic edge, then your security falls down in a different way because you don't know where the traffic's going to necessarily, you know where it's coming from, you know what your policy is. So you actually have to change up to a different sort of security posture. That's right. And, uh, you know, we at VMware SDN, we have our, our benefit of being our origins in VeloCloud, where you know, we, we sort of pioneered this idea of a cloud-delivered gateway so that apps could be routed to the data center through your security stack there. They could be routed to the gateway through a cloud web security stack. Now we have more and more places mm. that applications are being deployed. So your SD-WAN has to be more dynamic to select those destinations. Your security has to be more dynamic to be inserted in any path that you might reach. And you have to be able to facilitate the proliferation of modernized apps that are coming. Yeah. Even if they're not here today, we see and that. Also, and you also have to be flexible because the way things are going yeah. forward, we'll touch a little bit more on like, you know, how do you connect to AWS with Direct Connect? How do you connect to Azure? How do you connect to Google? How do you connect to whatever cloud infrastructure will come after that? What You know, there's a post. I start to look at AWS, Google on a 10-year horizon and I see the centralized clouds losing their relevance. We'll see much more of this maybe we deploy uh, our stuff into a CDN, or maybe we actually deploy it to infrastructure inside of our branches. But it's all centrally administered, but it's not necessarily sitting off-prem in somebody else's data center. So let's come back to some basics here. So let's come back to the question of what does SASE mean to VMware SASE? I think we've touched on a lot of the topics, but is there anything there that we've missed? Yeah, I think for us, SASE being Secure Access Service Edge, we really focus on the edge part of this, right? I mean, obviously VMware's ethos is in virtualized compute. And now with Tanzu, big place in, in containerized compute. And I mentioned our origins in terms of the SD-WAN background. We've got other components of the solution that we've brought into this with NSX and Workspace One. Um, I could throw acronyms all day, but I think <laughs> at the end of the day- <laughs> VMware's got an endless supply of acronyms and product names that change as, as I often joke. We actually week, have, a, saying, we have an internal website just for VMware employees where you can look yeah. up any acronym. Uh, that's how uh, prolific it is. Can so, I get access to that? Can you set that, <laughs> can you set that up? <laughs> so, you know, I think to your point, you know, applications are, are moving and 
this monolithic hyperscaler environment isn't going to persist. Even today, 70% of our customers say they're using more than one cloud. You have things moving to the far edge, whether it's your own compute, whether it's you know outposts or stack edge or, or any of those things. And so we really took an edge-centric view to this, which is how can we build this distributed edge network where we can have virtualized compute running in the hyperscalers, running in our points of presence, running in service provider points of presence, running in the 5G radio access network, running on-prem on ESXi or on the SD-WAN edge, connect them, secure them so that anywhere, we don't have to guess right about where applications are moving, right? Anywhere mm -hmm. that applications move, we'll have a solution. And, you know, Raghu, our CEO likes to say, we want to be the Switzerland of the multi-cloud edge. The idea is that no matter where you want to host your applications, you're not locked into one hypervisor's API set, one CDN's API set. You can have the freedom to move your apps from cloud to cloud, from cloud to CDN, from, from cloud to edge, mm. because you're using this consistent monitoring management infrastructure for managing your application delivery. So one of the, the, one of the key things I'll take away from that is that what you're proposing there is that a differentiator for VMware SASE is although VMware has a portfolio of product, you're not totally fixated on selling me the portfolio and locking me into the VMware vision. You're you're sort of saying that you want to be the Switzerland, and that implies that you'll work with anybody, you'll partner with anybody, and you also understand that other people may compete with you sometimes, or they may be friends with you sometimes, and your product has to be able to stand on its own two feet. Is that, am I reading that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's that's what customers want, right? They, they don't want single vendor lock-in. You'll see our platform continue to open up over the next year, our SASE platform. We're going to start allowing other SD-WAN networks to connect to our SASE cloud. We're going to completely open up this ecosystem. Uh, mm. You know, it's part of the reason why when we announced our own cloud web security solution, we co-announced it with a tighter partnership with Zscaler as an example, because we really believe in this giving customers choice. And obviously the idea is that if you use all VMware products, it's better together, it's more tightly integrated, you get a single pane of glass, we make it easier for you. Yeah. But at yeah. the same time, you have to have the flexibility to pick and choose. And even if you wanna use everything VMware, you're not going to flip a switch tomorrow and change everything that you have to VMware, right? So you need a way to incrementally yeah. move towards that solution. So you see that, so there's, you had to say single pane of glass, which sort of made me wince a little, you know, <laughs> but okay, I mean, let's get, let's roll with that. I'll, I'll forgive you the, this once. I, I think the vision hey, here we is- gotta, We say, have an engineering audience here. So <laughs> let me just couch that by saying, yeah. the way that we deliver a single pane of glass is we have- built a, a platform that is completely microservice based on the back end with service templates and mm. micro front ends on the front end. So yeah. the only shared infrastructure is the RBAC single sign-on, that that component tree. Okay, we right. actually have different products with their own CICD pipelines feeding right. into that. So to the customer, it looks like a single pane of glass, but it's not like we've got one group of people trying to build every product under the sun in the same you're not trying to build a mainframe like AWS or Azure. Exactly. They're building mainframes that lock you into their proprietary services. Right. You're, you're sort of promoting a vision that VMware SASE could run standalone and I could use it alone if I was to have other VMware products there sideways or federation. I call it federation where your SASE snaps in with, say, NSX, for example. So let's ask that question. What is the sideways integration or the, the federated integration with NSX, for example? So there's two sides to the NSX story, right? There's the, the SDDC story where you're talking about controlling your data center overlay. Today, those are, are really different teams. And so, you know, trying to put my data center network and my WAN under a single pane of glass doesn't make sense today. Maybe it will in the future. Maybe those roles will converge. And luckily, we've built this pluggable framework where we can converge them if we want to. But for now, we drive that with uh, API integration and being able to extend, for instance, SASE segmentation into the NSX micro-segmentation using APIs. Where we do tightly integrate with NSX is on the security side, right? And so NSX firewall in the data center, obviously a, a, a well, well, <laughs> widely used east-west firewall for data center use cases, but you know, not 
so widely used in the branch or the cloud use cases today. And that's where this SASE platform is plugging in. We're going to bring that NSX firewall to the branch, to the cloud, and plug it into our SASE solution so that you can have, let's say, a common set of NSX firewall policies that are consistently applied across the branch, across the DC, and across your cloud access so, so that you get a, a common look and feel for your security team. Craig, let me, let me ask a dumb question here. We're talking about the solution, the connectivity, all the different places that it plugs in and so on. But you're going to have people in this audience that were sitting here going, Craig, I got my apps stood up. Some of them are in public cloud and they're public facing. And I got my security policies at that part. Some of them are on-prem and I got my uh, publication happening there through my firewalls with rules and stuff. And it's, it's okay. What pushes me to say I need to add SASE to this mix? There's a couple different things. One is users are more distributed. So, you know, uh, obviously those, those current trends driving SASE, remote access users, being able to access apps from anywhere. There's this evolution towards zero trust and end-to-end -end zero trust and changing the security model from these, you know, signature-based firewall rules. I think one of the big things that we see in the move from on-prem security to cloud-based security is that threats are getting much more pervasive. Uh, you know, you have much more complicated attacks happening. You also have now with, with cryptocurrency, we have a, a real good incentive to attack people with ransomware and things like that. And so as we look at how do we do modern security techniques to protect against day zero attacks, you know, things like remote browser isolation, those are not things that you can practically do on-prem. So moving security to the cloud, gives you a central place where policies are applied. It gives you the ability to leverage cloud-scale computing for things like sandboxing and RBI and other things like that. And really, you know, helps secure that network of apps are anywhere, users are anywhere. So your point then is this is less about connectivity, say providing an overlay that can connect my on-prem to my public cloud hosted apps, and more about we need a unified centralized security framework to arbitrate all of the connectivity that's happening all over the place because of all the bad stuff that we know about because it's in the news all the time. Is that your argument, Craig? Yeah. I mean, the place where connectivity comes in is scale, right? I mean, Remote access VPN is not new. ZTNA is not new. SD-WAN is not new. We've been doing connectivity to apps in different places for several years now. I've been doing SD-WAN or some flavor of what we call it for the last 15 years, right? So that's not a new initiative. Maybe making it cloud scale so that I don't have to scale up my remote access stack in my data center is new, but you know, the connectivity piece is not new. It's bringing security in a single place and bringing visibility into your network and bringing control into the application delivery. Those are the things that we need to do to be able to scale. Because as users went from everyone sitting in the branch to everyone sitting at home, as apps went from sitting in the DC or in AWS Azure to sitting anywhere, it's not like we expanded our IT and networking teams to handle this proliferation of endpoints and applications and threats and all of these things that were changing, right? So networks are getting more complex very rapidly. We have the same group of people trying to maintain that. So we now need to develop products that make it easier for them to secure and scale those networks. And I think also, it's not just secure and scale networks, it's recognition that there are new types of networking that were happening now. Like for example, when we want to connect via direct access to Azure or AWS, we have to go through these proprietary backdoors that they've created and we have to jump through hoops that fit their networking model. We can't just do the, you know, connect like normal people and do a VPN over the front end. They get really upset. So SASE has to be flexible enough to connect in some way. So I, I do want to touch on this because I think this is different because the VMware SASE uses this pop and backbone technology. And that actually makes direct cloud access a lot easier and, and on-ramping into other people's clouds easier than other solutions, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of the SASE solutions today are deployed in one of the hyperscalers, right? And so obviously I'm going to be disadvantaged 
if I need to access Azure and my SASE solution is actually running in AWS. So we really believe in this notion of vendors building their own points of presence, vendors building their own peering relationships, their own cross connects, their own on-ramps to the cloud. Right? Those are things that you couldn't do in a traditional hyperscaler model. And you know, to your point, not only do the individual hyperscalers make it difficult or complicated sometimes, but they're all different. And you don't want your team to be spending time learning best practices for cost optimization of access to AWS and Azure and mm, GCP. Mm. You just want to say, I want to put my app wherever it makes sense. Hey, network, can you do this in the most efficient, cost-effective way for me? I don't want to have to go and deploy VMware SASE appliances in a rack in a in a hosting facility adjacent to and terminate the head end and then correct over some M, you know, some sort of arcane MPLS. I just want to say I want to connect to this VPC instance in my account and boom, away I go. And and of course, you know, there are third-party services like Equinix Cloud Exchange that are making it easier for customers to do this themselves. But our argument would be, you know. You're connecting to all these things as a service. Why are you still rolling your own network, building your own rack, adding more SD-WAN appliances when you exceed scale, building you know, the next cross-connect to the next service? Because control, Craig. Because we IT people, we got to have control. We've got to have control. And quas. We have to have quas. <laughs> we have to be you know, finger-defined networking that quas plan. <laughs> hey. We have, uh, you know, that's what SLAs are for. We pay so, you when the cost doesn't work. I want to jump to that a little bit. We might just jump forward. But since we've hit on this, one of the key things about SD-WAN as part of SASE, and we'll talk about the security visibility or the illities as I call them, is that you do monitor all of this application performance. So yeah, let's talk about right. that. Yeah, I mean, I think, so we, you know, we have a product called Edge Network Intelligence. There are other solutions out there that do similar things in terms of, you know, in the in the case of Edge Network Intelligence, it identifies all the devices in your network. It measures their responsiveness to DNS, DHCP, Radius. It measures their web response time, their application response time. Um, we're adding voice quality monitoring to it. So it's measuring everything that's going on in your network. It's getting fed into a machine learning engine. It's detecting anomalies. It's flagging things proactively for you. It's steering around problems that happen on the network. Because I think, you know, we talked about the complexity and explosion of complexity of users moving everywhere and, and devices and applications moving everywhere. You know, when I started my career, we had a screen in the knock, right? And we, we waited for a red light to come on and then we all jumped on it. What's going on? Uh, I mean, yeah. I think if you look at, you know, our largest customer is, is 18,000 sites deployed yeah. and they've got applications running in four different clouds. I can't really be looking at a knockboard for what's going on at 18,000 sites accessing four different clouds and reacting to what's going on. So I need- I, re I remember managing help. global networks and having every IP address that mattered memorized. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. just, a, things aren't the same as it was 20 years ago. Finger-to-find yeah. networking is is not obsolete, but it's it's practically obsolete because you just can't do things like which one of these devices or which path is, you know, we talked earlier about, and so this whole software operations thing is, you know, and I know we talk about it in terms of SASE and SD-WAN as like, you know, some miracle of evolution, but it's actually, it has to be there because the networks are just that much bigger. The devices are that much complicated. If you're going to have a 5G circuit in the path, you need to know if that 5G is operating optimally or not so that the observability has to be there. By the way, that 5G circuit has a V6 address, so please tell me you're not memorizing all of those. <laughs> <laughs> Craig, we've been talking a lot about the server side of things, or the, the, the parts of the infrastructure that serve up apps. That's kind of how the context of this conversation has flowed. But what about ZTNA, which, of course, has that you know, server-side component, but is, is client-facing, too, because we don't trust anybody. It, Tell me, Craig, surely the VMware SASE solution has ZTNA somewhere baked in there. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I always joke that, you know, ZTNA or zero trust doesn't make sense because you're obviously trusting the vendor who's delivering you zero trust. So you've got to trust somebody. <laughs> but, <laughs> got to trust the know, user at first. <laughs> if you think about zero trust access end to end, you, you have to think about 
how do I make sure that the device is safe? How do I make sure that the user is safe? How do I make sure that the network is safe? How do I make sure that the application is safe? And VMware is one of the few companies that has something all along that path from EDR with Carbon Black to Workspace ONE doing user behavioral analytics to ZTNA, which I'll talk about in a second, to securing application access uh, with things like Carbon Black and App Defense and things like that, right? So we've got this whole end-to-end story about how do you build zero trust end-to-end. But from a ZTNA perspective, this is something that we've done for a long time on top of Workspace ONE, right? So VMware acquired AirWatch, we built Workspace ONE Tunnel into Workspace ONE. Workspace ONE has mobile device management, user behavioral analytics, it's, uh, you know, can launch carbon black for EDR. And so now I can tell that the device is safe, that the uh, user is safe, that the device is configured correctly, and then build a TLS tunnel to some proxy used to be in the data center with the unified access gateway and hand off to an application. So what we did with SASE is we took that TLS termination piece out of our unified access gateway that we deploy on-prem with Workspace ONE. We containerized it in Kubernetes and we built this elastic multi-tenant cloud service for terminating TLS connections coming from these Workspace ONE devices. And then we service chain that into our SD-WAN gateway. So now you have an on-ramp to Cloud Web Security, to Zscaler, to Prisma, to your data center, wherever you wanna go to complete the second half of that Zero trust story. <laughs> you just described a, a fairly complex set of steps that I have to, well, not that I have to do because it's all going to be transparent to me, but that connection from that end user is going through a, a TLS tunnel to a proxy, et cetera. All of that is happening for purposes of, first of all, we know who the endpoint is and we have some trust there. And then ensuring that as the conversation continues, we trust because we're putting it through all these checks and balances along the way and providing a... Uh, a tightly scoped and monitored access to all the other thing, all the other resources that you were just describing. Yeah, I mean, zero trust isn't easy, right? Uh, and I think that might be a misnomer that people have. It's, it's a lot more complicated than remote access VPN. W- one of the ways that VMware does the better together story here is inside our in, inside our pops, we use Geneve, the protocol Geneve for service chaining, and we have our own TLVs that we've defined for metadata that we exchange in these zero trust environments. So, you know, we Workspace ONE, like I said, has discovered all these things about the device and the user and the posture and all of that. Uh, we can actually exchange that data in the header of the TLV, of the Geneve packets using TLVs and pass that metadata on to the SD-WAN gateway, pass that metadata on to VMware Cloud Web Security. So we don't need to do API to API integration between these various components. We don't need to rediscover these, this information as it passes through a series of the chains and we can make dynamic decisions, right? So the ZTNA client from VMware hands off traffic to the SD-WAN gateway and based on that metadata, we can make a decision in real time about what to do with that traffic. So maybe I have a user that's behaving normal, they're trusted, I'm sending, letting them access the data center, all of a sudden they start doing something unexpected, hitting DNS sites in Russia as an example. And yeah, then yeah. we don't block them, but on the very next packet, Workspace One's telling the SD-WAN gateway about that, and SD-WAN gateway is rerouting them through extra security. Right. So I'm I'm remembering a conversation from 2012 about when we used to argue about Genova versus VXLAN versus MVGIE. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you you said Geneve as the as our tunneling protocol here that it carries metadata in the form of TLVs in the header. That reminds me of uh, what also happens within NSX. So is there a, is there a tie-in here with what we're talking about with ZTNA and, and SASE? Is there a tie-in to VMware NSX? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the VMware NSX firewall in particular, which we're going to deploy next year as a firewall as a service, kind of similar to what I talked about with Workspace ONE, um, bringing cloud-scale multi-tenancy to the unified access gateway component for tunnel termination, We've taken the NSX firewall out of NSX, we're doing the same thing, making it multi-tenant and cloud scale. And now you get that same benefit of handing off this metadata back and forth. And an NSX firewall, by the way, discovers things about 
the application using NDR and, and other things, and it hands that information back. So you get this bidirectional exchange of data in terms of what's going on in the network. You know, in the in the ideal case, other vendors come on board and we start exchanging this data with third parties as well. Of course, uh, we can always do it via APIs, but I think you know, real-time exchange of data is good. And so, you know, we will hope well, inbound signaling is is in theory, better than out-of-band signaling, which is, I think, what you're alluding to. Right. Having the data in the header is is more efficient and yeah. the closest the feedback loop. That's uh, right. In a, a lot of things can go wrong in the time that it takes you to jump through APIs. However, <laughs> it also uh, in-band signaling is always much more complicated in the sense that everybody's got to support it and then everything becomes codependent. So if you upgrade this solution, does it have the same in-band signaling as that solution? And that is what the problem that we have with the internet with, say, BGP. You can't change BGP because changing a million routers or whatever the arbitrary number is would be inordinately complicated. Yeah, I think well, the nice, the nice thing about TLVs, though, is that you don't have to change them. You can redefine them. You can add a new one. You can deprecate yeah. the old yeah. ones. It's it's a little bit easier. I mean, that's why protobufs exist and all of these other formats that's to right. make yeah. that a little bit easier. We did learn some lessons along the way. It's just a flag that uh, if you're an engineering person, you need to be thinking about those types of topics. But I also think the use of NSX for the firewall makes sense because you did actually buy a security company to make the NSX firewall. So it is a recognized firewall instance, but using that in this product also makes sense because then you only have to validate one platform. So you're saying that the validation and proof of proof of security is actually in place. That's right. So now you'll have the same firewall that's running in the cloud, that's running in the data center, that's running in the branch. You get next-gen firewalling in all these places. It's the same firewall. It's the same policy set, uh, just that the policy enforcement point might be different depending on the traffic pattern. I want to come back to one question that we've sort of glossed over, and I think we've touched on this a few times, but one of the questions that I often get asked after we have these shows is, could you tell me what makes VMware SASE better, different, unique? What, if I had to list out the differentiating points, I'm going to ask you to sort of hit me with what makes VMware SASE different in a market crowded with SASE solutions. I think we've talked about most of them, but is there any that we've missed if you listed them out? Yeah, I think we have. I mean, I... I I'll summarize, right? I mean, SASE is built out of a couple of different things, the WAN edge and the security services edge. On the WAN edge side, where we talk about SD-WAN, I think, you know, four, four years a leader in the Gardner Magic Quadrant, VMware SD-WAN, biggest market share, great product. I invented it, so I'm, you know, tooting my own horn here. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> great product, leading product on the SD-WAN side. Obviously, on the security services side, VMware is a newer player in this space compared to say a Palo Alto or a Fortinet or someone who's got their, their core in building firewalls. But at the same time, those core firewalls that we built 10 years ago aren't necessarily the same thing that we need to secure threats in a modern network. So I think what makes VMware unique is we combine the leading network access solutions in terms of VMware SD-WAN, number one market share, VMware Workspace ONE, which has tens of millions of endpoints under management, is a proven ZTNA solution combined yeah. with not only our own native security solutions, but also a really strong drive towards partnership and building this open ecosystem for supporting integration with other solutions. What does that mean practically, though, Craig? Integrations, yeah, you can kind of get a almost a plug-in kind of a feel where it's integrated, there's some comms happening there, but... Let's focus on the VMware stuff specifically for just a moment, then get back to the third parties. Do I have the ability to build a unified policy uh, such that what I deploy in SASE is the same in NSX? Does it work like that? It's not there today. So we're getting there. Like I said, next year is when we'll launch the, the NSX firewall as a service and bring the NSX firewall down to the branch. So hmm. that's when we'll get to that, that unified firewall policy model. But again, today... So that's that's on the security side where customers are pushing us towards that security unification. On the networking side, we're not seeing that drive. So that's not a place we're investing today. Uh, SDDC and SD-WAN policies being the same, for example. 
today but, you would start off with your SASE solution. The first step is to deploy the SD-WAN, get the network in place. And then you start laying the security over the top. You start deciding how much of it you want to do at the edge, how much of it you want to do off-premise in a cloud SASE pop, right? So the, the way that your SASE works is you actually send the traffic off into the cloud and then the cloud does the security functions. The firewalling is done there in the cloud, the inspection, the logging, the policy and so forth, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's there's some firewalling that happens out at the far edge. There, there will always have yeah. to be some firewalling that happens out at the far edge, but all the advanced security techniques are are going to continue to happen in the cloud. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's two different ways. Current customers usually come in, current VMware customers. They're either a current SD-WAN customer or they're a current Workspace ONE customer, in which case they have sort of this turnkey ability to add security to the service they already have. When they're not a current VMware customer, they still tend to start with one of those two solutions, either SD-WAN or MDM, because those are the very proven mature solutions. And then again, they look at the ability to add security on top. My my hope, my belief is that, you know, in the coming year or two, people will start to take the other path as well, where they start with VMware security, and then they look to add network access second. You know, we have to build... We have to build that credibility in the marketplace, yeah, especially I think, in the CISO's office, right? I mean, yeah, because that VMware, VMware is not yeah, a security company historically, we're getting there though. Yeah, a thin client is for some companies, and for other client, other companies, having a fat client is a better solution. I, the thing about thin client, I think that we've learned in the last two decades of thin clients that I've been working on them is that it works for some, but it doesn't work for all, and. So you end up having to either support and companies that have attempted to only have thin clients have always sort of ended up not only having thin clients. And so you actually end up with the sort of the, from an infrastructure point of view, the worst of both worlds. You've actually got all the problems. Well, I think you get, I mean, you get geo-locked and if nothing else, if you say, I'm only going to have a thin client, right? Because a lot of times we tend to take this US, Western Europe centric view of the world. Hey, the cloud is cheap. The cloud is close. That's not necessarily true if I'm sitting in Peru. Uh, or I'm yeah. sitting in Indonesia, right? So we have SD-WAN customers all over the world. A lot of them don't use cloud gateways because of in-region costs or because of, you know, the distance from a, the distance from a latency perspective to reach those clouds. And so you're gonna we're gonna have to have a thick client model for them as well. But the idea is that you want a central policy management engine so that again, no matter whether it's my NSX firewall in the DC or in the cloud or in the branch that's doing the security, I'm pushing the same policy to all of them. Yeah. Getting yeah, visibility back into the same place from all of them. We've done a number of customer interviews around the SD-WAN SASE space. And one of, the, one of the things that consistently comes back from the people who are using this technology is for the first time in 20, 30 years, I've now actually got a consistent policy in locations that are not in the same time zone that I'm in. So, you know, if your head office is in Europe or the, or North America or whatever, and you've got a thousand offices around the world of which 300 are in the Southern hemisphere, for the first time, your firewall rules are actually consistent globally because they're all policy driven from a central console. They might be administered by local people, but they can be seen by everybody in the team. Right. And that is that right there is a massive advantage around SASE there is having a firewall policy that you can see around the world on every node, wherever it is. And and to have changes pushed out everywhere simultaneously and 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 all of the benefits that come with that centralized orchestration, just like we yeah. had for networks with SD-WAN. Well once you once you've got the operational platform, then it all becomes like things like code updates become you know simpler, simplified yeah. to become automated you know, uh, knowing what your asset management looks like, knowing what code versions exist on all your boxes, all that sort of stuff just becomes table stakes. And that's why we are talking about those things today. SASE is, it it is still a maturing market. And I don't think vendors should be afraid to say that, right? That, you know, it's still evolving, pushing software updates to tens of thousands of sites, not something every SD-WAN solution can even do today, uh, let alone every SASE solution, right? Handling tens or hundreds of thousands of remote workers, not something every solution can do today. Having the, the policy enforcement points in all the different places. Some people don't even have SD-WAN yet or don't even have a ZTNA yet. And so, you know, I think the danger is 
sassy is really hyped term. Like you said, in the intro, everyone's throwing it on their product name. I'm sassy. Mm -hmm. I'm sassy because, you know, they want to get ride the hype cycle and, and, and get the momentum sales momentum that comes with it. But these solutions are still maturing and the space is still maturing. And so, you know, have to be very careful when we, we go down that path that we're not just buying on the hype uh, and that this is actually a solution that's going to solve my problems today and in the future. It's weird to think that after, you know, eight years going on nine years of SD-WAN, we're still just getting into it. I, I'm, I know this is a bit of a diversion from the topic here today, but it is strange to me that, you know, I, we started talking about SD-WAN in 2014, Ethan, was it? Oh, roundabout, Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're heading into 2022. So, you know, like eight, nine years of SD-WAN. And yet, and, and it, admittedly, it has evolved to become a security function as well as just a network connectivity function. But strange to think that even in all that time, it's still just evolving from your point of view. Because you've been building it for even longer than that, right? Yeah, I mean, I joined Talari in 2007. So, you know, I've been doing this sort of SDN overlay across the network. We didn't call it SD-WAN at first. We called it WAN virtualization <laughs> and other things. But... Yeah, uh, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. We used to think of security as as something distinct and separate from it, right? And it used to be the norm that you said, "I want my best in breed security vendor. I want my best in breed networking vendor." What you've seen over that seven and eight years is networking vendors moving towards security, security vendors moving towards networking, and so now you have the ability for those vendors to say, hey, I have a best-in-breed style solution on both sides. But it takes a long time to build credibility in either space and to build product maturity and, and things like that. So, Craig, one thing that we opened up at the front was this idea that applications could be placed anywhere, but we didn't actually talk about how I would place an application in a branch network dynamically. Now, there's some emerging technologies inside of VMware, and I think it's called VMware Edge Compute or VEC. Can I sure can't get access to that internal? Anyway, why don't you explain a little bit about what that is and why an enterprise would buy it? Yeah, so two things we announced at VMworld. The first is, is the VMware Edge Compute Stack, which is a traditional, let's say, traditional VMware Edge mm -hmm. Compute Stack. It's based on ESX and Tanzu, but trimmed down to fit in an enterprise footprint and an enterprise price point, right? So kind of the same technology that folks are used to with VMware Cloud Foundation and VMC on AWS and things like that, but shrunk down to fit in an edge computing use case. And I think that's that's critical for the convenience store or you know whatever small branch wants to deploy those on-prem compute workloads. The other thing we announced, which isn't available yet, is running containerized applications directly on top of the SD-WAN edge. So that will come middle of next year. And now you have mm -hmm. two different ways. You can have traditional hypervisor-based compute with SD-WAN as one of the VNFs, or you can have the SD-WAN edge with containerized applications running on top, <laughs> fully modernized application shop. And both of those tie into this whole end-to-end -end fabric we talked about, edge network intelligence, monitoring end-to-end -end application response time and performance. Uh, and now you can see you know, the things that I alluded to, the future state of being able to map applications, SLOs to where workload should be placed on the network. You can see how these things are starting to come together because we're tying together these traditional VMware hypervisor environments with SD-WAN on top with VMware SD-WAN environments with containerized right. tons workloads on top and ENI monitoring all of this application performance and that's and that's kind of smart because there's two ways to approach it. If you're coming from a server silo, you're going to depend and let's face it, silos still exist. If you want to build an edge, then you're going to want to build some servers and then put some VMs and some containers, and you're going to say VMs and Tanzu. But if you're looking for a different type of deployment that's more service-centric or networking-centric, you want to be able to put those same features, but you want to put them in the networking hardware. And maybe that fits into the internal model of customers. Is that a wrong yeah. way to look at it? No, that's the right way to look at it. Absolutely. Right. I mean, we, you want that flexibility. Yeah. Well, or, you know, maybe the server people look at it and go like, well, why don't we go that way and put it in the networking device instead of buying servers? It's just a way of, you know, well, I bet it's silos. So, uh, you know, a good example use case to try to 
like illustrate the power of these things coming together is we have a deployment going on in the UK where police force has dash cams and body worn cameras on their officers. And they've been struggling to get all of the data off those cameras up to a central place where it can be stored uh, and analyzed and all of that. And so what they've done is they've actually put a ruggedized uh, UCB style device in the trunk of the police cruiser. It's running VMware Edge Compute Stack. It's running the video processing unit right there. Mm-hmm. It's got a VMware SD-WAN Edge. It's got a Wi-Fi card. It's got dual LTE connections. And so when the officer gets out of the cruiser, his camera is broadcasting over Wi-Fi to the box in the trunk of the car. The video processing unit is processing the data. It's uploading it over the dual LTE using SD-WAN technology to improve the quality of connectivity if the LTE connectivity is not good and get it back to the near edge where they're storing that data for persistency and and post-analysis. And so they tested this like super cool, wish I could have been part of it, but like, you know, driving hundred miles an hour down the highway. Yeah. Uh, and the video is sure being uploaded could, as it goes. Yeah. Making sure that they could view the dash cam centrally yeah. streamed in real time, you know, while driving hundred miles an hour down the highway. So yeah. super powerful use of these two technologies coming together in, in a real world kind of use case. Yeah. We call them police cars. They're not cruise they're not ships they're kind <laughs> but yeah here in the uk we just call them police cars so, <laughs> just in case you ever wanted to know but uh I, I like the idea that there's a whole bunch of vertical solutions that you could create with standard components because in the past if we wanted to do fancy networking we used to have to go and get custom there was companies out there that built custom networking capabilities to do that and used custom radios or, or weird packet radio solutions and things like that but now we're actually able to adapt off-the-shelf commodity products to be able to deliver solutions like that and that sort of flags that these solutions are flexible enough potentially to, to twist in a direction if you think you've got some unique people who listen to us know that i don't think you're unique because everybody does the same thing that's why everybody runs the same cpus and the same software but you know uh, you know but whatever your solution might be there's some flexibility in it to fit your needs yeah i mean i think things are changing quickly right and and covid if covid taught me nothing else it taught that things taught me that things can change in the networking world much faster than i ever expected that they could so one last thing i wanted to touch on was ai ops now i know that it's it's pretty much the rage at the moment to say we've got some sort of Artificial intelligence, it's probably not artificial intelligence, but it, we call it AI ops just for whatever. You've made a couple of acquisitions in this space, which actually gives you some AI ops capability. Do you want to talk about those? Yeah, so we acquired a company called Nyansa um, about a year and a half ago. And what Nyansa did was deploy what they called crawlers in the branch or campus LAN. And they gathered data by setting off a span port off the core switch about mm-hmm. application performance. And I mentioned, you know, measuring DNS and radius response times and Wi-Fi and things like that. So they they monitored the actual application traffic setting off the span. And then they reached out to adjacent devices in the network to get information about, you know, Wi-Fi and switches and things like that. Mm-hmm. So what we did after we acquired them is we integrated that into the SD-WAN edge. So I don't need you to span traffic to a separate device if the edge router is already seeing all the traffic that's traversing the network that you care about in terms of measuring application performance. And so we're measuring all of those things as the traffic traverses the SD-WAN appliance. That gives you A, visibility, right? AIOps uh, gives you using machine learning, even though the name is AIOps, <laughs> using machine learning, uh, you know, detecting anomalies, comparing performance across your sites, telling you where your pain points are, telling you where your Wi-Fi coverage is poor, all of that cool stuff. But by combining it with, SD-WAN, now we've introduced this element of control as well. And so, you know, we think that, you know, as I said, not having a knockboard where I'm going to react to alarms, we have to get there, right? So self-healing networks, we call it, everyone has a different name for it. But, you know, one of the things that this now integration between ENI and SD-WAN can do is detect that applications are performing poorly when going to a certain data center and reroute them to a different data center, right? And so, you know, one of the one of the examples I use is used to 
get a customer call saying my application's not working. You, you open up a bridge, you start troubleshooting, yep. you figure mm -hmm. out that it's an overloaded core switch port in the Phoenix data center much later, right? Unfortunately, that's a real world thing that happened on a bridge I was sitting on. But now with, with this ENISD-WAN, think about the difference of it detects the anomaly, it detects that it's a congested switch port because it's pulling those data, it automatically reroutes the traffic to Dallas. And now instead of a customer calling you, you get an alert from your SD-WAN service saying, hey, traffic or application performance is poor for these users because of a congested switch port in your Phoenix data center. We rerouted and it can those trace users that down to, and, we've and rerouted those users that. to Dallas. Hmm. So there's no impact right now. And now you've been told what the problem is and you get to troubleshoot it without your boss sitting on the call yelling at you going, What's going on? When is it going to be fixed? What's the current status? Yeah, but then I don't get months. to be a hero and then I don't get a pay rise. <laughs> <laughs> you also, you might not get to be the hero as much, but you also don't get to be the goat as much. And that's true. Well, I guess you, you also get to go home at five o'clock a lot more often. <laughs> so right. it comes maybe, might be a fair trade-off. So yeah, I, I wanted to touch on that because I wanted to sort of say that AI ops is a part of this. And, and for those of you who are, who are looking at solutions and saying, where's the intelligence? Where's the automated operations? It is there. And we just didn't touch on it today because it's actually a topic that you kind of want to focus on it as a whole thing, I guess. Now, I'm sorry. It's been a great discussion, Craig, and I wish we could maybe go a little bit longer, but we do have to wrap this up. So I think what we should do here is say, well, how can people find more information about you? Where would they go to say, maybe catch up with you personally, or where would they go to find out more about VMware SaaS? So you can find out more about VMware Sassy at sassy.vmware.com. For me personally, you can find me on Twitter at egregious. You can also find me on Reddit, uh, you chief velo nerd. So <laughs> that's a, a, a place where more of us are connecting these days than Twitter, I think. Okay. Egregious is E-G-R-E-G-I-O-U-S, exactly as the word egregious spells, if you know the word. And Sassy is S-A-S-E dot VMware dot com. Thanks so much to VMware for being a sponsor today. And thanks to Craig for coming on and being a great guest and having a thanks little bit of energy and making it interesting. And as always, if you've enjoyed this show, please head on over to packetpushes.net where you can find more fine, free technical podcasts along the same lines as this and our community blog site at packetpushes.net. You can follow us on Twitter at packetpushes, find us on LinkedIn, uh, rate us on Facebook and even on Apple Podcasts. It would be really helpful if you would tell your friends about it so that we can keep doing this every week. And uh, if you found this valuable and if you're listening to this, you probably have, considering that we're 55 minutes in, just remember that last and never ever least that too much networking would never be enough.